Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. Good morning, everybody. I have missed you. I am glad to see all of your smiling faces this morning. Many, many greetings from Panama and from the rest of our mission team. Uh, Your prayers were felt the entire week, but probably no more so than last night. Uh, Chanel, Christopher, and I, we flew home a few days early just to get ready for this weekend. The team ministered all the way through Friday, and they flew home last night. They were supposed to arrive in Miami around midnight. Their plane takes off from Panama City in the dark and hits a bird. (laughs) Had to make a big circle, go right back to the airport and wait, but God was good. He provided another plane. They made it safely but tired early this morning. I did see actually one of them already this morning. I'm I'm a little bit surprised. I don't think they got home till 4.30 or 5, so God bless them. Next week, in fact, because of all that, we're going to put off showing a bunch of pictures, telling some stories till next weekend, so don't miss it next weekend. There's some incredible things that God did in and through the team, and thanks many ways to your prayers so, uh, so keep it up. Next year, I've already been asked about 100 times, yes, we will continue to go on mission trips. Uh, pastor Matt is our local missions pastor. We've been dreaming and talking. There, there may be a trip uh, just for the youth group uh, down to an island in the Caribbean. There may be a trip for the adults to Europe next year. And there may even be another trip for the adults somewhere close, like, uh, like another island in the Caribbean. So, so be listening for that. That all is coming. So But this week, we are starting a brand new series. We're starting a series that will carry us all the way through the end of the summer. I'm already excited about the next series. Then we'll be jumping into the book of Acts, the incredible stories of the birth of the church, some incredible things that God did back then, but I believe still wants to do today. But for the rest of these weeks of summer, we're going to be walking through an incredible letter. Actually, it was a letter from Paul to a church in Thessalonica. The the, the letter is called 1 Thessalonica. There's also a second Thessalonians. We won't have time for that one. But as we walk through this book and through this letter, we're going to learn that Paul is encouraging the church to stand firm. Stand firm in the face of troubles. Stand firm in the face of persecution. Well, that's just as up to date, just as important for us today as it was 2,000 years ago. But before we jump into that letter in chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians, we need to understand the backstory. There's always a backstory. This week, we're going to look at the prequel, if you will, to that first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. This is how the church was planted before there was even a church to write a letter to, Paul and some of his cohorts visited the city of Thessalonica. That's the story we're going to dig in today. Understand the who, the what, and the where of that church plan. I think we're going to understand that just as God planted, founded churches 2,000 years ago, God would use that same anatomy, that same plan, that same strategy to plant churches today. Maybe even right here in Cape Coral in the Northwest section. Maybe even in Panama or other places that God might lead us to be involved. So let's dig into the chapter 17 of the book of Acts and understand what a church plant looks like and what that has to do with our lives today. Chapter 17 of the book of Acts, and we're going to start in verse number one. We're going to, as always, walk through 
through verse by verse. Let me just read a verse or two at the beginning just to understand where we're going with this. We need to understand with any time we're, we're on a mission with or for God, those, those first steps are crucial. Making sure we get those first steps right are very important. Let's look at the first steps in Acts chapter 17, verse 1 and 2. If you have your phone, you can aim it at the QR code, pull up the sermon notes, the Bible text, or just follow on the screen behind me. Acts chapter 17, verse 1 says this. When Paul and his companions, they had passed through Amphibolus and Apollonia, those are two cities, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue on three days. Let's just stop right there. We're going to read the rest in just a minute. So as I said, anytime you're on mission with God or for God, those first steps are crucial. Making sure you do that right because that's going to set the tone, that's going to set the direction, that's going to set the pace for the entire journey, for the entire mission. That was important for us as we planned, prepared for our mission trip to Panama. That is important for us as we grow the kingdom of God right here in Cape Coral. Those first steps are important. They were also important for Paul. Let me give you a little backstory to the backstory, kind of like Star Wars, kind of the prequel to the prequel. Uh, before this happened, before they started walking through Amphibolus and Ap Apollonia, getting all the way to Thessalonica, they had been in a city called Philippi. You'd have to go back to chapter 16, great story. You should probably read that for homework this week. But just before that, God had given them a call. They were off farther away on a missionary journey, visiting cities, starting churches, sharing their faith in Christ when they have a dream saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So, so they came that way. The first stop on that trip was Philippi, also in Macedonia. They'd had a, an exciting ministry there, some incredible results, some people came to faith, but also they'd had quite a bit of pushback. In fact, when they left Philippi, it was not by choice. They were quite literally running for their lives. So as they left that city, they come to uh, Amphibolus and Apollonia. What's going on here? They passed through Amphibolus and passed through Apollonia. The question is why. If we're looking at their, if we're looking at their first steps, we need to understand why they did that because these cities were important. Amphibolus, if you're going to plant a church, is not a bad city. Philippi was the first. Amphibolus was a big, important city. It was the capital of the whole region. Tons of folks lived there. If I'm going to plant a church, I'm thinking this is pretty strategic. I might stop and, and start right here, all the folks around. Beyond that, Apollonia, another very important town. It wasn't a government town, but it was a financial, commercial town. Again, tons of people living there. Very influential, great strategic place to stop and to start a church. But he doesn't stop in either one of those cities. He keeps going all the way to Thessalonica. Why? Beyond their importance, we need to understand, remember how I said Philip, uh, Paul left Philippi uh, not because he wanted to, but because he had to? What actually happened because he was sharing the gospel, the life change that occurred in Philippi was so dramatic that the Jewish rulers, the Jewish authorities were so upset, they actually had Paul beaten with rods of wood flogged for sharing the gospel. I'm not sure when the last time you were flogged for sharing your faith, but it had just happened to Paul over and over and over again. And then after that experience, they left. Well, we understand why. The next town, Amphibolus, was 33 miles away. After just being flogged, 
just being thrown in jail, just kind of running for your life. They didn't stop all the way to Amphipolis, and they wouldn't even stop there. Why didn't they stop there? The next town, Apollonia, another 33 miles away. The next town, Thessalonica, another 33, 100 miles they chose to walk. I don't know how many, anyone still do Fitbits? Did you get your 10,000 steps in this week each day? 10,000 steps is roughly five miles. This is, this is a lot of miles. This is a lot of walking. Why in the world would they stop by these great stopping points, these important cities, strategic cities, especially after all they've been through? They had every right, every reason, every excuse to stop or to quit or to throw in the towel and head back home. It's too far, they could have said. It's too hot, they could have said. It's too hard, they could have said. It's too uncomfortable, they could have said. Nothing great was ever achieved without great sacrifice. Now, the teaching here is not God's railing on quitters. Don't be a quitter. Be like Paul. Keep walking, even if it's 100 miles. What I believe the teaching here is that he's teaching against bad theology. In our churches today, and in, in, our, in, our, in our Christian minds today, even in our missiology today, we've come up with that, this idea that if something is hard, God must not be in it. Because if God had a plan and God sent us on a mission, then the way is going to be clear. The doors are going to be open. The road is going to be easy to travel on. If it's complicated, if there's pushback, if the doors are closing in our face, that can't be God. We might as well just stop and go back. There will always be pushback. There will always be these stopping points along the way, things or, or, or opportunities or, or offers that would be not the best, but second best, not the best thing, but good enough. And these stopping points, the Amphibolus, the Apollonia, these other places along the way, we would have every right, every reason, every excuse to stop. But the goal is where God is sending us to is Thessalonica. What would this look like in our, in our time? Well, for many of our teenagers, it looks like a, a cute boy or a cute girl that has nothing to do with God. It might look like a fat paycheck for a job that sucks you dry. You have no time left, no energy left at the end of the week for your spouse or for your kids. It might look like one more church event piled onto your already full agenda, keeping you trapped in this building and preventing you from spending time with your folks and your friends and your neighbors far away from God. But Paul didn't listen to those. Paul didn't stop. Paul kept going to the very best thing. Why? The Bible says it right there. It says, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue. So this was his Custom. This was his habit. That word for custom in, in the original language is the word ethos. Now we've heard that word ethos even in English. It means your habit, your your custom, your 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 your, your the way you do things, the manner, the behavior. His mo. This was Paul's thing. On the weekend, he made sure that he went to church. Now, it could have been the fellowship. It could have been the preaching. It could have been the teaching. It could have been the prayer time. Whatever it was that attracted him, that caused him to make that a fixed part of his week, a fixed part of his life, we don't know. All we know, the Bible says, is that it was his habit. He made it a habit to do this. 
This, again, this is not some shameless plug for going to church every week. And if you don't, you're not like Paul. So be like Paul and go to church. That's not, I believe, the teaching here. I believe what God's trying to teach us here is the power of a positive habit. I mean, think about it just for a minute. We're going we're gonna to read the rest of the story in a minute, and there's some incredible things that happened in that city of Thessalonica, but consider for a minute the impact of this one positive habit in Paul's life that it had not only in his own life, obviously, it had on that experience, this story, but the power of that positive habit having not only on the church that would be planted in Thessalonica, but the hundreds, I don't know, maybe thousands of people that later heard the gospel, responded to the gospel, came to faith, that caused a generational change in that city. Why? Because one guy had a positive habit of going to church. We have all kinds of habits, don't we? Good, bad, ugly, (laughs) What if, what if God would challenge each one of us to look at our lives and, and examine where are the powerful, positive ha- habits like, habits like uh, uh, before I start my day, before I get out of the house and start running 100 miles an hour doing whatever it is that I do, I will spend time in God's word and I will talk to God and I will listen to God. What about the habit of, before I make any kind of major life decision, before I, I set course towards anything for me or for my family, for my kids, before I do any of those things, I seek the, the counsel of wise brothers and, and wise sisters to, to speak into that situation? What if, what if before I, I, I shoot off emails or I respond on social media to a, a troublesome or a controversial text or email, I'll just wait 24 hours? And I'll pray, and I'll, I'll let God kind of settle things in my own heart. The power of a positive habit not only changes our lives, but as we see in this story, it changes generations of other people's lives if God gets a hold of it. Secondly, not only were, were the first steps important, but even, even Paul's method, how he went about doing things, that was incredibly important for that church plant, but I believe for what we would be involved in now. Look at verses 2 and 3. The method is important. Look at verse 2. So as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, he was explaining, and he was proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Let's just stop right there. So the first steps were important, but also his method was important. He, he, he lines out three ministry tools, three, um, three ministry techniques, let's say, of how he actually gets the ideas across that he wants to get across. Let's just look at those three words briefly to understand what it was he was doing. Number one, he was reasoning. The word reasoning in the original language, it means to, to dialogue. In fact, the Greek word is almost identical to our English word of dialogue. It means a give and a take, a, a conversation. I say something, I ask something, and then I wait. And then my partner says something and asks something back. It's, two, it's communication. It's not what we're doing now where a talking head is kind of going off for 30 or 33 minutes, and you're just sitting there passively, but it's an active conversation. Both are involved. The word explaining means actually literally to open up. 
So if he was explaining, he was opening things, or it means to, to take the lid off of something. So what was he doing? He was, he was opening their hearts, opening their minds, opening their spirits to things that had previously been concealed to them because of their, their traditions, their rituals, their, their other religions. God was, uh, uh, Paul was opening their hearts. And then finally, the word proving is, is a very simple word. It's a very active word. It literally means to lay down in front of. So what was Paul doing? He was laying down facts, laying down arguments, laying down proof, laying down explanations, very clear, very orderly, not, not forcing things, not demanding things, just laying it out in front of them for, th- for them to consider, for them to think about, for them to dialogue about, and at the end, decide for themselves, is this for me or is it not? These are all things that Paul did. Now, these are incredible ministry tools, things that you and I would use, but the funny thing is, it doesn't sound at all like Paul. I mean, if you spend any time at all reading in the New Testament, this guy Paul, he was large and he was in charge. He wrote the majority of the books in the New Testament. He was a great theologian. He was an orator. He was a teacher. He, he wasn't married, so there was no sandpaper rubbing off his rough edges. I mean, he was in your face all the time. He was the one that was up there doing this. Every single word we just read, every single tool that he used in Thessaloniki was more like a one-on-one kind of a thing a conversation kind of a thing, in the context of a relationship, in the context of a conversation. This doesn't sound at all like Paul. There's no preaching. There's no proclaiming. There's no prophesying. There's no, there's no authoritative. It's a back and forth, a back and forth. We were in, uh, in, in Panama, the missionaries there. Uh, it's very interesting how they, how they organize our trips. They, they, of course, involve us in their ministry, incredible ministry. You'll hear more about that next week. But in the evenings and sometimes in the mornings, they would gather us back again for a, a debrief. And we talk about what happened and what we experienced and what God did. But then they would relate it back to our time here in the States because they feel that they are sending, just as we sent our team out as missionaries to Panama, at the end of the week, they believe they are sending our team back to America as missionaries. And so they talk about what it's like when we share our faith here, what it's like when we go on mission here. And they told us a very interesting statistic talking about people that hear the gospel message, like the folks in Thessaloniki, or maybe like the folks in Northwest Cape Coral, or maybe like the folks in Panama City, that on average, all around the world, missiologists tell us that on average, a a not-yet-believing person needs seven touches with the gospel, conversations, meaningful conversations about Jesus, over a period of about seven years by seven different people. Seven touches with the gospel over a period of about seven years from seven different people. Now, that's on average, obviously. Some will be way more. Some will be way fewer. But on average, that's what it is. What does that mean for ministry for us? That the ministry of of standing up in front of folks and preaching and teaching is not nearly as powerful as that one-on-one. How does that look like in Panama? It looks like Panamanian coffee. We spend a lot of time drinking coffee and just talking, having conversations a lot like Paul and Thessalonica 2,000 years ago, listening, asking, explaining, and hearing their response over one 
or two or three cups of coffee. Can anyone here do that? I think we can all pull that one off. God is calling us to do ministry as he did. So when Paul did it that way, and that was his method, what was his message? What was he trying to convey to the folks? Well, again, it says it right here in God's word. He said he was telling them, uh, trying to convince them or persuade them, the Bible says, that the Messiah had to suffer and die. One more time, this was his message after all this one-on-one and conversation and cups of whatever they drank back then. The Messiah had to suffer and he had to die. <clears throat> wow, Paul, <laughs> I get it, you're kind of an in-your-face kind of guy, but come on, give me a break. Can, can we not start with something a little more upbeat, uh, something a little more happy? We're trying to attract the folks to Christianity, bring them into the faith, and you're coming at them with suffering and death. Can we not, can we not try to find something more positive, maybe something more pertinent to their situation? Let's try to find out what is the question they're asking and respond to that rather than hitting them with, with suffering and, and death and, and, and dying. That's exactly what Paul was doing. If we were to jump back in time 2,000 years, get into the mind of the, of the typical Hebrew, Jew, member of the family of God in those days, they had an understanding of what the Messiah was, who he would be, and what he would look like. And Jesus wasn't it. Many of them would agree Jesus was a good man. Many of them would agree that Jesus had been sent by God because of all the miracles he had done. You could not deny that. But they had a picture of what the Messiah would look like. He would be a majestic Messiah, riding in on a horse, ruling the world. But Jesus, he was a suffering servant. He looked nothing like what they were looking for. So they said, then I guess we will just keep looking for what we're looking for. And Paul said, no. Look, look deeper in your very own scriptures. This Jesus is that Jesus. This Messiah is the Messiah you've been waiting for. And so he is seeking to persuade them of that. It's no different in our time today. Many, many people inside the church think that we are the believers because we're happily sitting inside this building on a Sunday morning. And the folks out there, those are unbelievers. That's not true. The folks out there believe in all kinds of things. They might not believe in what you and I believe in, but they believe in tons of stuff. God is calling us to reach those folks and help them understand exactly like Paul did, the questions they're asking, the things that they're seeking, the, 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 the wants that they have that can all be found in Jesus. I mean, think about your neighbors. Think about your friends, even your family members that are still far away from God. What are the questions they're asking? What are the, the wants that they have? What are the things that they need? Jesus is the answer to every single one of those. Is it grace? Is it peace? Is it unconditional love? Is it forgiveness? Whatever they are missing, Jesus is the answer. And then after he presents this, I think it's important for us to look at what came out of that. What were the results of all of Paul's ministry there? Look at verse number four, the results of his ministry. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. 
also a large number of God-fearing Greeks and even quite a few prominent women. So here's a question. Are we allowed to look at the results, kind of evaluate how things went in the normal world, in the business world, even in the educational world? This is a normal practice. You, you kind of step back and you, you kind of assess, uh, evaluate how are things going? Do we need to make some tweaks? Do we need to change things up? Or, or is everything going exactly like we had hoped? This is normal. Not so much inside the church or in the Christian world, but God is calling us to look at things that we're doing. Is what we're doing for the Lord, is what we're doing to build the kingdom of God effective at all? Well, let's look at Paul's scorecard and see if that tells us anything about ourselves, okay? What does it say? It says, some of the Jews were persuaded. Now, this is typical. This is nothing new. This is pretty, pretty much expected from this group of folks. Who, who were these folks? These would have been the, um, the religious folks of the day. They had their rituals. They had their traditions. They knew the rules. They knew the laws. They knew the commandments. That didn't mean they followed any of those things. They showed up for most holidays. Well, at least some holidays. They knew what they were supposed to do, but they were so entrenched in this as a cultural, societal, uh, traditional kind of a lifestyle that there was no way you were going to get them to change simply out of an emotional, emotionally charged moment. They were fixed. They were comfortable. They were hard to reach. We have folks like that in our world today. They were hard to reach. And so the Bible says only some of this group came to faith, but there was another group, the God-fearing Greeks. Now there are more of these folks that came to faith. The Bible says these were the outsiders. These are folks that did not grow inside the family of God. They had not heard the stories that you and I hear each week. Their grandma did not read them Bible stories at nighttime. These were folks that were far away, but because God created every single human being with a hunger to know him, he had been drawing them since, since their very birth. This, he is this huge holy magnet drawing people to himself. These folks were hungry. They were spiritually hungry. They went looking for answers. These folks were around studying the scriptures. The, the Ethiopian eunuch is another great example of this guy. We have people like this in our church right now. We met a bunch of folks just like this down in Panama. These are folks that are hungry. They're searching. They're asking questions. And once they find that answer, they're in. And then there was a third group, the prominent women. What in the world is that? Especially when you consider, we hear this phrase, prominent Greek women, they came, they believed, they followed Jesus, they supported Jesus, they were with Jesus. This was a big deal. This group, for some reason, is all over the book of Acts, even back, even before that, in the gospel. This group of folks, they respond faster and in larger numbers than almost any other group in that day. Why? Who were these folks? Well, first of all, they were women, obviously. They were prominent. That meant they were wealthy enough to have education. They, they had enough margin in their day to be able to spend time thinking and, and studying and, and asking deeper questions. The average woman in those days had no time for any of those things. She had a hundred hour work week with things to do with the kids and the family and the livestock and the farm. They didn't have time for, for silliness like, like faith in God and how do I really feel at the deepest point of my heart. These ladies did. So they went searching. Well, first First of all, obviously in their own Greek religion, the problem was 
It was very male-dominated and, and very sexualized, and, and even the activities of their religion was overtly sexual, and they were victimized at every turn. So surprise, surprise, it was often rejected by women, so they went searching outside of their own faith. They found Judaism, deeply spiritual, but they had so many laws and so many rules and so many commands they didn't understand that really didn't jive with their lives. They kept looking, and then they found Jesus, also deeply spiritual. But his grace, his unconditional love, his acceptance, his willingness to, 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 to pour himself into and, and to be held on, depended on wholly and completely. This was very attractive to this group of women. So they came in great numbers. Here's the deal. We have every single type of these folks in our world, in Cape Coral right now today. Those that are entrenched in some kind of religion, the religion of their parents or their grandparents, folks who grew up far away from God, but they're searching, they don't know what they're searching for, and then folks like this that have been turned off by their own faith, turned off by their own religion, and if only they met a Jesus who would love them unconditionally, they would respond in droves. Folks, how are we reaching the folks that God has brought to us? Paul Paul did it one-on-one -on -one through a conversation, simply demonstrating, laying out, showing the faith that he had. Fourth, there was pushback. Now, this is not a surprise. In every story, we see pushback. And you should know, folks, in our time, as we step out in faith and move out, there will be pushback. Look at verses 5 and 6. But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men have caused trouble all over the world and have now come here. Your translation might even say, these men have turned the world upside down, and now they have come here. There was pushback. That is some extreme pushback, but there will, there will, always, there will always be pushback. No, no, hear, hear me. Anytime you share your faith, you, you, you share the gospel, you, you have a gospel conversation, you will see pushback. It might not look like this, but you will experience pushback. Why? The Bible says right there, there were other Jews and they were jealous. That word jealous is the word zealous. It means to boil, boil with jealousy. Jealousy. Okay, I, I get it. They were angry. I get it. They were, uh, they were turned off by this new faith. But what do you mean jealous? What were they jealous about? These were two wandering missionaries here today, gone tomorrow. They had nothing to be jealous of. What were they jealous about? Especially boiling jealousy. What was up? Someone was taking what had been theirs. Someone was taking their power. Someone was taking their influence some was taking hearts and souls and folks away, and they were jealous. Folks were responding to the gospel. They were losing control of that which they had formerly had control over, and they were jealous. The enemy of your soul and my soul living right here in Cape Coral, he is jealous for every soul that comes to Christ. There will be pushback. 
chapter 16 I talked about just a minute ago. Paul and the guys had traveled there first, and at the beginning there was a great celebration. They, they couldn't find a synagogue, so they found a group of ladies having a prayer meeting out by the river. They attend the meeting. They share the gospel of Jesus. The ladies get saved. Lydia, she's the, the leader of the group, she gets saved, baptized the ladies right there in that river on the spot. Uh, that river is still there. My wife and I, we've visited that spot. It's a beautiful place. That turns south real quick because on the way back to town, uh, Paul and Cyrus meet a, um, a young slave girl who um, was possessed by a demon. That would normally be very bad if you're possessed by a demon. That's not a good thing. But for her, it was, it was financially advantageous for her owners because she was able to tell the fortune, the future of anyone that she, that she saw. And so her owners made it quite deal money from her because of that. Paul frees her from that spirit. The, 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 the owners of that girl are furious because of that. They have them thrown in jail. So get this, because they freed her from her demon, they are now in chains, in prison. They, they might say, oh, we're being punished. All we did was good things, but they weren't being punished. God was positioning them for ministry because their jailer chained to them in the prison, an earthquake happens. The chains fall off. Everything goes dark. The jailer assumes they've all escaped, so he's going to be killed by his own boss. He, and then suddenly Paul says, no, 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 we're still here. We haven't gone anywhere. The jailer says, why would you stay? Why didn't you run away? What kind of a man are you? Why did you do this? And Paul said, I'm glad you asked. He starts sharing the gospel. The jailer gets saved. His entire family gets saved. They all get baptized. They, they kind of heal up Paul's wounds because remember, he had just been beaten by the same jailer with a big stick and they feed him a, 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 a belly full of food and send him on his way. This is pushback. And Paul had just experienced that just hours before this experience. This is nothing new for Paul. This should be nothing new for us. This very church, speaking of mission trips, went on a mission trip many years ago to Spain. We were still living there as missionaries, and, and, and Pastor Mike, the pastor before me, brought a whole group of folks to, to, to Seville, Spain, to do ministry with us. We experienced pushback on that trip. God had allowed us to get access to a very elite private school in the very downtown part of Seville. Uh, mayor's kids and, and lawyer's kids, professors, it was a big deal. It was going to allow us to influence and connect with folks we normally would have had no connection to. We were thrilled. So the team comes in well prepared, as, as all teams do, ready to teach English. In the schools, we wouldn't talk about God, but outside of class, obviously, we could talk about whatever we wanted and we'd share the gospel. But in school, no, it was, it was all English. Got the team set up. It was first period, all good. During second period, I ran out to grab some water bottles. Before I could even get back, the principal of the school calls me on the phone and said, Mr. Acton, come get your, come get your group. They are kicked out of our school. I said, why? I, I, I know who you are. You're Christians. You've been trying to share your faith in class. I want you out. I want you out now. All I could just barely get back to the school. The, the group was already meeting me at the door. He threw us out. He slammed the gate behind us. That was day one. We had six more days of this mission trip. We prayed. 
I, in desperation, reached out to another high school we'd never been to in our, in our suburb where we lived, and I promised in the moon. I told the team, I said, Pastor Mike, I don't care what you do. Don't talk about Jesus. We can't get kicked out of another school. We'll talk about Jesus outside of class. Just be really careful. We prayed. We worked. The school let us in. The first class, we're in there. I mean, literally, the first class of the morning, we're in there. The group had spread out. They're chatting with folks, and the problem with Christians, they're just so friendly and nice. The team couldn't help it. They were smiley and nice and chatty with all the kids. I'm in the back just praying, oh God, please don't let him say Jesus. Please don't let him say Jesus. Please don't let him say Jesus. The teacher of the class is right next to me. She leans over to me and she says, Mr. Acton, are you Christians? I froze. (laughs) Now I'm a missionary, so I'm really not supposed to lie. But in that moment, I'm not going to lie. I thought about lying, but I didn't. I leaned back over and said, yes, ma'am, we are. Should we get our stuff and go? (laughs) And she said, no, I'm a believer too. I've worked in this school for years. I think I'm the only Christian in the entire school. I have been praying that God would send me some Christian brothers and sisters to work in the school. You are the answer to my prayer. Yeah. We thought we were being punished God was positioning us for where he wanted us to use. When there is pushback, and there will be pushback from family members, from your kids, from your mom and dad, whoever it comes from, there's going to be pushback. But take that because God might be positioning you for where he wants to use you, where he wants to move. And then finally, uh, the last step in in his journey of the the church plant is also important for us. Look at verses 7 and 9. We need to learn to just let it go. Verse 7 says this. And Jason Jason has welcomed them into his house. They were all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one they called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials, they were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond, and they let them go. So those two phrases that we read here in the Bible, they turned the world upside down. That was one. And the other one right here, we just read it, they have thrown the whole city into turmoil. Those are some some huge accusations. That is an incredible, incredibly strong way to describe what had happened through the ministry of Paul and and Silas and the other guys that were with him. That is a lot to put on a couple of guys. This is incredible. These are strong words of an incredible impact. But here's the deal. Just as God made this incredible impact through a couple guys in just a few days in a city called Thessalonica 2,000 years ago, God is capable and I believe wants to do that very same thing today through you and me right here in Cape Coral. God wants to turn Cape Coral upside down. God wants to bring a huge turmoil in this city that this city would no longer do what it used to do, would no longer be what it used to be, that everything, everything would change. Can you imagine if God moved as powerfully today in Cape Coral as he did in Thessaloniki 2,000 years ago? What that looked like? I mean, they would have to shut down social media. Because people would stop going online to air their grievances. They would, they would just talk to their neighbors. They'd close down the police department because there'd be no more crime. Well, except for giving speeding tickets to the tourists from New York. But besides that, there'd be no more crime. Can you, do you know what would happen? They would shut down the foster system. Because the church would step up 
and care for orphans and care for widows. If God would move in our time as he moved then, our world would be turned upside down. Everything would be different. Nothing would be like it was, and God would be glorified. This is what God is calling us to do, but here's the deal. The the upside down turning and the turmoil turning, that's not our thing. That's not our job. God is not calling you and me or the church to turn our world upside down. That is not our responsibility, nor is it our mission in this world. We, like Paul, are called to faithfully proclaim the gospel, planting churches and making disciples. But as we do that, God will turn the world upside down. How do we know that? We know it from the Bible. Verse 9 said it right there. They had to post bond and let Paul go. The, the posting of the bond, that wasn't Paul putting down uh, bail money or, or security money. It was Jason and the believers that lived in that city. They were putting down money, promising these missionaries will never come back and bother us. So when Paul leaves that city, he knows he's not going back. It would have, number one, been against the law, but it would have cost Jason all of that money that he laid down in good faith, promising that Paul was leaving. He had to let it go, lay it down. He did his part. He was faithful to be obedient what God had called him to do, and now it was time to move on and let God do his part. Folks, this is exactly what God's calling us to do here in our city. Let me close with this. This fall, we feel God is calling us to begin moving out in the northwest section. Sorry, northwest section. Calling to move out in the northwest section. Uh, things like uh, in, in September, small group home Bible studies will start up in that area of the town. Around the fall, we'll be having a trunk or treat celebration to get to know a bunch of kids up in that part of town. And Lord willing, on Christmas Eve night, we'll have an outdoor, open-air Christmas Eve service again up in that part of town. I would love for all of us to be involved in that. How? August 2nd. (laughs) It's going to be in our newsletter in coming weeks. August 2nd, so Wednesday night, 6 p.m. It's kind of a vision night to kind of cast vision, ask questions, understand what we feel God is leading us to. That would be your next step. And then for all of us. Your next step is simply this. We're going to take Paul as an example. Just as Paul spent time one-on-one conversations, dialoguing with folks, here's what I want you to do. Pray about, think about, plan on now, while we're together, what your next conversation is going to be. You know who it is. You've got that person in your mind, that name on the tip of your tongue. You know who it is. We'll be praying for you. We'll be praying for each other. Who is that next conversation? I'm going to be praying that each one of us finds the time and the opportunity and the words to have that conversation this very week. Let's pray. Father God, you are a great God who challenges us with stories from thousands of years ago. Oh God, I pray that just as you moved powerfully in those days, You would move powerfully in our days and in our world. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. 
Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.